you know, one of the huge values of the O-Rays program, I, I would say, is that, you know, when you have uh, passionate mentors uh, that are, are working hand in hand with uh, O-Rays participants, it's, uh, that is where there is so much, uh, um, you know, knowledge sharing, knowledge transfer, but then, um, you know, opportunities to, to continue to grow and have, um, you know, the, the mentee be the mentor later. This is the O-Rise Featurecast. Join host Michael Holtz for conversations with O-Rise experts on STEM workforce development, scientific and technical reviews, and the evaluation of radiation exposure and environmental contamination. You'll also hear from O-Rise research program participants and their mentors as they talk about their experiences and how they are helping shape the future of science. Welcome to the O-Rise Featurecast. Welcome to the O-Rise Featurecast. I am, as always, your host, Michael Holtz in the Communications and Marketing Department of O-Rise. And I'm really excited today to be talking to Brian Anderson, the Director of the Department of Energy's National Energy Technology Laboratory. Brian, welcome to the O-Rise Featurecast. Michael, it's a pleasure to be here. So um, talk to me a little bit, kind of at a high level, um, what does the National Energy Technology Laboratory, or NETL, as we we like to call it, and I know you all call it, um, what does NETL do? Well, we are, uh, like the other 16 national laboratories, we are uh, one of the Department of Energy's national labs. Uh, our uh, office in which we sit is the Office of Fossil Energy and Carbon Management. And in fact, uh, NETL has been around uh, since 1910. Uh, we were originally found as part of the Bureau of Mines. There was a, a spate of mine explosions in 1908, uh, and we were founded to uh, try to solve that problem of, of uh, uh, underground mine explosions in Appalachia. Uh, so that was our Pittsburgh site. Uh, we have a Morgantown laboratory, that's Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, we have a Morgantown, West Virginia site that was founded just after the Second World War uh, as the U.S. Synthesis uh, Fuels Laboratory uh, to take uh, Fisher Tropes uh, synthesis from turning coal into, into liquid fuels, uh, like the Germans did in, in the Second World War. And then we have an Albany, Oregon site uh, that was found in the middle of the Second World War to develop new materials and alloys. And that's the location where uh, the refining process for zinc and, or not, not, not for zinc, for zirconium and titanium was founded, the, the coal process. Um, and so a, a birth of uh, an advanced metals industry in that part of Oregon. And so we have three distinct distinct laboratory locations. Uh, but what makes us a little bit unique is we're of the 17 national labs. Uh, we are the one that is government-owned, government-operated. And so in addition to having uh, on-site research um, that, uh, again, is largely in the area of uh, fossil energy and carbon management, like in carbon capture and sequestration, we also... Uh, help the Department of Energy implement programs and, and the extramural program uh, to private sector partners, to academia. And so we have a project management office and we have a, a procurement and, and finance financial assistance office uh, that handles 
um, these extramural programs for not just fossil energy and carbon management, but energy efficiency and renewable energy, the Office of Electricity, Cybersecurity, Energy Security and Emergency Response, the Office of Clean Energy Demonstrations, Manufacturing Energy Supply Chains, the Grid Deployment Office, a little bit of NNSA work and the Joint Department of Energy, Department of Transportation Vehicles Office. Uh, and I don't think I left anybody out. <laughs> and as if you weren't busy enough, you are also the executive director, right, of an interagency working group. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, in the energy transition that we're looking at uh, over the next, uh, the coming decades, um, we know it's going to be a huge shift uh, in the economy writ large. But for a lot of communities like coal and oil and gas communities around the country, it, it means a change in the livelihood of of individual workers. And so the administration has uh, made a commitment uh, in the first week of, of this administration, the executive order called uh, tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. This is executive order 14008, if anybody wonders. Uh, Section 218 of that executive order, inclusive of environmental and economic and energy justice uh, provisions called EJ40, uh, is also the establishment of an interagency working group for coal and power plant communities and economic revitalization. And in a nutshell, it's to make sure that we're not leaving communities behind. Those okay. that, uh, you know, are perhaps coal communities, mining communities around the country, everywhere from Appalachia to the Four Corners region and Navajo and Hopi nations and the Crow Nation in, in Montana, uh, Wyoming, and, and uh, you know, really all across the country, these uh, communities that would see a big change in, in the economic uh uh, future for them. And so that interagency working group has 11 different federal agencies, all putting resources together, uh, working boots on the ground with communities to, to make sure that their pathway uh, to participate in the clean energy future uh, is, is assisted and paved for them. So lots of lots of components across the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act and Chips, Chips and Science Act. And, and in fact, uh, it's a huge portfolio across our 11 agencies. We have uh, just shy of $600 billion of, of various uh, aid packages, tax credits, and uh, loan guarantees, and financial assistance, and, and big major infrastructure projects, and, and uh, everything from broadband to carbon capture. Well, there's a ton of work happening, <laughs> not yeah. just in sort of the technology um, and energy you know, changing to the changing face of energy, but also in, as you said, ensuring that the communities that are involved in work today aren't left behind and can transition with the future of the energy. So there's a lot going on. There is, there is, and, and it all you know it ties back to the technologies um, and innovations that we in the national lab system come up with. And, um, you know, I, I know we'll talk at length about this, but the, the road to that we're paving toward decarbonization of our economy, I mean, it's a, it's a long road. Uh, we're looking at uh, decarbonizing the economy in the next 27 years. Um, the workforce that we're going to need to be participating in this, both at the national labs and across uh, the private sector, is, is incredible. You know, we're looking at trillions of dollars of investment um, in new deployment of new technologies and new innovations. And so having that pipeline of uh, STEM talent is just incredible. And, and certainly uh, we, you know, there'll be a lot, lots of footprint uh, by the O-Rise 
the O-Rise team. Absolutely. And that, and that brings me to why you and I are having this conversation is you have, if I understand correctly, you have been an O-Rise participant, but you also bring in O-Rise research program participants, um, and, which we do throughout the, the national laboratory system, but to the NATO program specifically to be part of the research that looks at innovating and changing, you know, the face of energy, you know, as it exists today so that we can be ready for decarbonizing um, the energy system and preparing for what that future looks like. Michael, that, that, that's right. I did get my, I got my start in the uh, Department of Energy System as, as an ORISE faculty fellow. Okay. Uh, my, that was my foot in the door uh, to working with NETL. Um, for the last 17 years, I've worked in various capacities at NETL, and it all started with, uh, with an ORISE faculty fellowship that, that got me uh, into the laboratory to work hand in hand with uh, uh, researchers, uh, senior and junior researchers across NETL, um, and uh, eventually built uh, a collaborative program between, I was a faculty member at a local university at West Virginia University. And as I was building my research program as a, as a new faculty member, I was doing it in just deep collaboration with, with the laboratory. And it was, uh, it was in a way that, you know, with the ORISE Fellowship, um, that was a bit, a bit seamless. It was hard to, it was hard to determine where, uh, the university group would end and where the, the national lab group would, uh, would start. And that's, uh, I think it was very healthy. Uh, it was a great way to get my start at, at NETL and, uh, um, and be a contributor to, to NETL's mission, uh, as a, as an ORISE faculty member. And then I had a lot of students, uh, you know, I spent, a, a I guess it was a, about 12 years at the university and uh, had a number of my own students who were uh, then would be uh, ORISE, uh, ORISE participants at the laboratory. And then now in the last uh, four, just shy of four and a half years at the lab is certainly a robust uh, partnership with uh, you know, ORISE participants at, at the lab. And, and again, a, a key contributor to our, our workforce development and the pipeline, but then even maybe not the pipeline to the lab, but all, all a pipeline to the economy that we need. Like I was saying, we need uh, a, a huge influx of new talent to achieve the goals we have. Absolutely. Um, and I, I know those of us at ORISE are excited to be, be part of, as we have for um, since our own founding, you know, being part of helping build that pipeline and bringing people and exciting young people about the opportunities that exist in the STEM fields and in the national laboratory system and, and really throughout the federal government. Um, how critical are programs like ORISE um, research participation programs to get people excited, get, you know, young researchers, you know, folks who are just sort of getting their feet wet. How important is that to building that pipeline? Well, really, it, it's it's critical uh, just to, you know, put a, a real fine point on it. Um, but I'll give it a, a little bit of an example. Uh, even just a, a few weeks ago, as I, you know, periodically do um, you know, walk around the laboratory and, mm -hmm. and get to know uh, researchers in the lab, the the excitement and enthusiasm 
of uh, uh, and passion of researchers that uh, you find uh, in in particular, you know, whether it's overrides fellows or postdocs or uh, or even faculty fellows, um, is uh, is critical to the diversity of thoughts and ideas uh, that are existing in a laboratory. And and so I was meeting with with uh, an, an overrides postdoc in a very exciting laboratory. Um, really pushing the the cutting edge of uh, the connection between microbiology and and subsur- the subsurface science and and uh, the potential for uh, hydrogen storage and the effects of uh, of microorganisms in the subsurface and and to be able to bring together in what for us has to be a multidisciplinary environment uh, to be able to bring in uh, new and fresh ideas. Uh, whether it's early, early career researchers or faculty fellows, as, as I came in, to be able to reach out and bring in those that diversity of thought and diversity of ideas into what we operate in the national lab spaces, are al- almost by definition, has to be multi- multidisciplinary because our, our solutions are going to be multidisciplinary. I think that is one critical aspect of it. The other critical aspect uh, that is that... Um, you know, this is an all-hands-on-deck effort to decarbonize the economy. And when we think of that all-hands-on-deck, we need to bring in uh, as much uh, richness of, of uh, uh, new ideas as, as possible. And so to have all of the tools at our disposal to bring uh, bring uh, new blood into into this challenge is, uh, is critical to us. So I'll go back well, to that, that word, critical. Well, yeah, yeah. And... I've talked to a number of, um, you know, ORISE research program participants, you know, over the years. And what I hear over and over again is, is exactly what you just talked about in terms of collaboration and new ideas. And, you know, it's never going to be just one thing, right? It's never going to be just one scientific discipline. Um, it's going to be, it, as you said, it's going to be all hands on deck. It's going to be everybody. Um, Brian, where in your life were you interested in in science at a young age? Was did sure. that come to you later? Um, no, it was in fact very, very, very young. Um, you know, I, I came. You know, both of my parents were teachers when I was when I was born. Um, and and uh, but then uh, my father in the uh, energy crisis in the late seventies um, joined the energy sector. Okay. And, uh, and, and was basically doing uh, chemistry in, in the uh, oil fields in Appalachia, uh, frankly, out of the, the back of the car in, in, in our garage or in the basement. And, uh, and so I started you know, being his little apprentice uh, at an extremely young age, learning, uh, you know, learning one about energy and two about chemistry and a little bit about engineering. Um, and, uh, and I do recall very specifically after a um, uh, math field day in, in third grade uh, in elementary school, I was asked by the local radio station what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I said I was going to be a chemical engineer. So, um, in third grade, uh, in third grade, and I didn't deviate from that uh, not even not even once, except for you know some thoughts around uh, uh, becoming a singer. But that's that's a whole different story. <laughs> whole other conversation, right? <laughs> yep. So your dad was your first mentor. He was absolutely. And, uh, and so uh, following him, 
him around in in the energy sector. I mean, I learned a lot about uh, about our our energy energy production and use, and and uh, you know certainly that was a, a I was born into the fossil sector. I you know grandfather right. was an underground coal miner as well, and and uh, and certainly that was a you know part of my legacy. But he was certainly my my first mentor. Um, talk about other mentors that that came in and and poured themselves into you know your education. Obviously, um, not everyone not everyone has a dad that right. you know sort of kickstarts their career. But you know, were there high school teachers, even elementary school teachers? There, oh, there there certainly were. I was extremely lucky in the the public schools that I went to. You know, from elementary school, the you know the science teacher who was uh, you know teaching us to dissect dissect animals. Uh -huh. uh, to then you know, and and certainly you know, I, I had a, a mentor in high school who was a, a science teacher, um, uh, both both biology and and chemistry, uh, who would spend her summers uh, at the Woods Hole Institute working with with James Watson, um, and then come back to small town West Virginia, Ripley, West Virginia, and and teach us. Uh, you know, really the cutting edge science and where and how science is not stagnant and it keeps moving forward. And so I had those mentors and then, you know, throughout college professors and then uh, very lucky to have a faculty advisor as a PhD student uh, who uh, actually sat on on the board of uh, the advisory boards of two different national laboratories uh, as well. And so I got fed that in. Uh, and then and then I would have to say, even as a uh as an O-Rise brand new faculty member, I went straight from a PhD to a faculty position. And so effectively I was doing a postdoc at the same time as I was starting up my lab. And, and I had as an O-Rise faculty um, at NETL had uh, a couple of mentors at the laboratory uh, that really helped me, um, helped me build, uh, build my own research group, understand how to, uh, how to build new, uh, uh, experimental capabilities, um, and so I got a lot out of that uh, as well. Uh, that mentorship as a as an ORI's faculty member. That's amazing. Um, it sounds like a great um, career career project progression. Um, great um, group of people that have been part of your career career trajectory and and helping you get to where you are today. Um, it is, and and that's you know one of the huge values of the Overeyes program. I, I would say is that you know when you have uh, passionate mentors uh, that are are working hand in hand with uh, Overeyes participants, it's uh, that is where there is so much uh, um, you know, knowledge sharing, knowledge transfer, but then um, you know opportunities to to continue to grow and have um, you know the the mentee be the mentor later. Right. Well, and I, so I was just going to ask, and based on what you said before about sort of doing walkthroughs through the lab and and getting excited about um, some of the students that are doing research um, at the lab, I assume you meant you are a mentor for other people um, and haven't had that opportunity um, many times. I would assume in the role that you have today, I and did. getting to where you are. Yeah, I. I Yes, absolutely. I try to, you know, my the way I operate is to try to um, uh, uh, try to develop others. Um, in fact, I, you know, my uh, my wife is a uh, 
uh, Gallup Strength Finder coach, and and uh, you know we talk a lot about strengths, and one of mine is is a developer, um, and that is inherently. I mean, I I spent you know, years, decades as as a teacher and a, and a professor, and uh, and that was obviously part of part of what I did in my in my past, and that certainly carries over today. Now, unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot of time to spend in the laboratory, but any chance I get. Um, to interact with our researchers, I want to encourage them and 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 try to uh, try to be a, a mentor at each and every opportunity I have throughout the day. Um, and I'll tell you what, Michael, the uh, the days that I enjoy the most are the ones where I actually have that opportunity. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that you know national lab directors have to do uh, in administration, but it really is the the days that I have a chance to spend a little bit of time in the laboratory. Uh, are the ones that I enjoy, you know, more than any other day of the week. Because you get to interact with those those researchers and you get to see firsthand what they're working on and, and be part of those conversations, right? And yes, and the passion is contagious. <laughs> so when I can, you know, I, I understand that, you know, folks, you know, yesterday coming up with new materials for carbon capture. Yeah, Yesterday is in the laboratory and, and the, the level of excitement of, the new materials and, and scaffolds that they're building um, that truly have that that chance in, in you know the coming years to change change the globe uh, and the passion that they're bringing to that every single day um, you know it reminds me of why I'm doing this job. And it sounds like as as we've been talking, the opportunities really are endless in terms of where young researchers, where faculty researchers, postdocs can engage in the in the future of energy and have experiences like, you know, being able to, to ignite the passion that you just talked about in terms of here's a new material, here's something we've never done before. And, um, you know, looking forward to how can we you know, how can we get to the you know carbon-free future, but also um, you know <laughs> keep energizing the country? Well, that that that's exactly right. And to to span the entire spectrum from true discovery research, mm -hmm. um, you know, no no more basic than than dis discovery research, the basic research, applied, use inspired, all the way out to you know many uh, many opportunities that head toward the commercialization. Space, we have to have as as a as a country right right now. It is no more uh, imperative than at any other point in time that we must ensure that that entire innovation chain, from discovery science to to deployment, um, is filled with uh, filled with passion and filled with you know passionate individuals. And so, um, when you say when you're talking about the diversity of opportunities, it isn't it isn't only in different technologies. You know, folks can get excited about material science or they can get excited about, you know, truly uh, applied research in director capture or carbon capture or uh, or in, um, you know, higher efficiency solar or wind. Um, but then there's the other part of the matrix is all the way from discovery to uh, to deployment. And so there is something for everyone. And, and that's why an ORISE opportunity gives you a chance to plug into that innovation ecosystem somewhere um, and then explore and maybe pop out and have another opportunity somewhere else across that whole ecosystem matrix that we just described. 
and uh, and find what it is that they're going to be passionate about to work in in their future. It sounds like it's an amazing time to be an NETL. And, <laughs> and if folks are listening who are interested in ORISE research program opportunities, obviously they can go to the ORISE website and see what's going on at Nettle um, and find some of those opportunities and, and apply for and get plugged into them. Um, Brian, is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to make sure um, we get across to folks while we're talking? You know, one of, one of the things is, is that, uh, well, so actually, you know, two things. When I first came to NETL, um, we were often referred to as a hidden jewel or hidden gem. Okay. And, uh, and in my very first, you know, public uh, public speaking engagement uh, uh, in 2018 about NETL was we we can no longer be hidden. And so, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to get the, get the word out about what we're doing. But then the second piece is, you know, while we have been, uh, working in the carbon space, whether it's coal or oil or natural gas for 113 years. Um, you know, our mission uh, is extremely broad at NETL, and it really is about charting the path forward to a, a sustainable future um, and doing it in a way that uh, um, it is sustainable uh, economically. It's, we have reliable and resilient energy supply and hitting our our much needed uh, climate goals. Mm-hmm. So you know, in in folks may have thought of NETL as the coal as the coal lab, but we are so much more than that. Uh, and so that's one uh, you know one thing I just want to want to mention because you know it is the passionate ideas about how to how to get this energy transition right and ensure that we are meeting the the, the climate goals that uh, that that we need to as a globe. Um, if you want to, if you want to really get down into uh, the meat of the problems, then, you know, we're, we're a great place to come. Awesome. It sounds so much like that. And I, I hope that folks who are listening will, um, look at plugging themselves into the work that is happening at Nettle and the future of, um, energy in the country. Ryan, last question for you. What brings you joy? <laughs> Well, uh, on a daily basis, it's my six-year-old, and and whether we're playing catch or playing playing basketball, or he's doing awesome. you know, karate on me, practicing his karate on me. <laughs> that that is one. I I do also, you know, from a work perspective, you know, what brings me joy is to support you know the great scientists and engineers that we have uh, here at the laboratory because I know uh, that they're trying to make the world a better place and have a positive impact on on people's lives and. And because having that positive impact on, on people's lives brings me a lot of joy uh, as well. And so, uh, and then and then the last I alluded to, to singing, it is really a passion of mine. And, and uh, I, I have actually had the great opportunity of singing with some of the world's greatest orchestras, like the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra and the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And uh, uh, that is truly a, a, a passion of mine. And so it's always great to, you know, hold, you know, have a well-rounded life and hold on to, you know, what brings you joy. So I'm, that's a great question to ask, Michael. That's that sounds definitely like um, a well-rounded answer to you know you, the work, the passion for music, family, yeah, exactly. family. You can't beat it, right? Thank you so much, Brian, for being part of the Orion's Feature Cast today. I really appreciate the time. 
Michael, I, I appreciate it as well. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the ORISE Feature Cast. To learn more about the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education, visit orise.orau.gov or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ORISE Connect. If you like the ORISE Feature Cast, give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. The Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education is managed by ORAU for the U.S. Department of Energy.